0: Michael, this is all very confusing.
1: This is On Markets presented by Darwin Asset Management and Darwin Wealth Management, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts in 20 minutes or less. I'm your host, Remy Bartolotta. Joining me today are Michael Sorrentino, aka Tino, and Michael Bartolotta. We're back in the saddle, gentlemen. How have you been?
0: Good. It's been a little while. I think our, uh, our our two-month hiatus became a five or six-month hiatus.
1: Yeah. So actually, I was going to say, I think first and foremost, we uh, we, we owe our listeners an apology because we closed out our show in July saying that we would be, be, we would be back in a month. And uh, here we are five months later.
2: Well, it's like all the other supply chain issues that we're dealing with right now. They tell you it's a month, <laughs> it's five months. There we know? go. So it's not, yeah. our, it's not our fault.
1: There we go. <laughs> So actually, before the show, I was thinking about like listing all of the things we've been sort of working on and why it's taken us so long to get back to this. But to be honest, I thought it just sounded like a lame excuse. So I, not not so long ago, I saw a, um, an interview with Hugh Jackman where he was talking about um, working out for what was a Wolverine and i guess it was in between the movies you know obviously it's an old interview but it was in between movies and he was getting ready for a new movie and they asked him about how you know what his workout was like and this and that and apparently from the previous movie he had stopped working out and um you know had to get back in shape for the new one and they asked him about it and he said he said man he said uh you know i recently ran into will smith who um you know i guess had just gotten done training for the muhammad ali movie um, and I guess he had done some other movies in between or something. He said, and I got the best advice from Will Smith that I've ever had, which is that it's a lot easier to maintain than to start over again. And I feel like that's applicable to us right now. You know, we stopped, we said it was going to be a month, and man, it's hard to get back in it.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned Will Smith, though, because did you see that article? He did that, uh, that movie where he played uh, Venus and Serena's father, and he got all, and he got all fat and out of shape to play an older guy. And it was an article about him saying how it's
1: like impossible to get back in shape. Well, there you go. I guess he's uh, he's consistent. Yeah. At any rate, since this is our first episode of the year, I thought it would be fun to look back on 2021 and maybe reflect on some of what we saw over the past year. So but but we'll do it our way. We'll do it a little bit different our way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask both of you a few questions and uh, we'll see where it leads. You ready? Let's go.
2: Let's do it.
1: Tino, what is the most interesting thing you saw in 2021?
2: Most interesting. Well, I would say that 2021 was an interesting year. Uh and there's an old Chinese proverb that says, May you live in interesting times. Man, that's a tough one. I'd have to say probably the most interesting one that I saw goes back to the you know, January, February timeframe when those Reddit forums. And meme stocks and apes, and all that. It. it is that combined activity of retail traders sitting at home, bored as hell, that genuinely moved markets. I mean, if you think about the stock market here in the United States, it's predominantly run by institutional investors. You go to China, it's like 90, 95% retail gamblers. That's about it. Same thing, I think, in South Korea. Uh, but here in the US, it's a very well established market and it got overtaken. By a bunch of people sitting in the computers and 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 doing completely absurd things. The reason why I find it to be interesting is that you think about you know GameStop is kind of that that poster child for 2021 in many in many ways. There was a hedge fund short GameStop because it was f- objectively uh, a business that had problems, and uh, the the hedge fund is called Melvin Capital. They almost went under because when you're short, you have unlimited uh, loss potential, and they had to have their investors come in and basically bail them out. It's interesting, I think, because you've got firms out there, some very well-respected firms like Muddy Waters and all these other short sellers out there that are betting against stocks that are effectively not doing that anymore. They might be short stocks, but they're not publishing any reports anymore. You want to know why? Because these retail investors have figured out ways to orchestrate short squeezes and and manipulate markets legally in a way that's beneficial to them.
1: I mean, we've never seen anything like that before. Kind of going to work against them in the long term, no?
2: Well, you know, I, this is a, this is a little geeky and a little technical for markets, but people vilify short sellers. Okay, let's let's rewind. Short selling is you're betting against something. So you 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 sell something at hundred dollars, hoping to buy it back at you know ten dollars, something like that. People go after short sellers all the time. Even the regulators do. But short sellers, I think, in my opinion, are very important to markets. You know, you think about markets that you can't short or you can't bet against. And those are markets that tend to get overinflated. It's like the housing market back in 2005, 2006. There was no way to effectively short it prior to the financial crisis, and that thing went, ran wild. I mean, and that's just one example. So I think short sellers are very important to, to markets, and and the fact now that they have to kind of run by and be very quiet and hide behind rocks, worried about you know, frankly, like teenagers and kids at home day trading through Reddit forums. I mean, it's 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 a power shift. Like it's none pretty other. amazing.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. pretty amazing.
0: Mike, what do you got? You know, it sort of plays off a Tino's thing, right? We're talking about weird things that happened during the year. And to to me, and it really started in 2020, but I I thought it was just sort of a blip, but it's continued through 2020. It's the real estate market. I I just don't, you know, I never would have expected the real estate market to get as hot as it has and to stay as hot as it has for this extended period of time. And not only that, but in almost every area of the country you know, I understand, you know, uh, I spend most of my time in Tampa, I understand people leaving the Northeast to get away from taxes, you know, move to a more tax friendly place, that sort of thing, whether you know, there's a lot going for it. But it, it's happening everywhere. And, you know, there's people moving to, I don't know, I mean, property values are skyrocketing in like Des Moines, Iowa, and all kinds of places that you just wouldn't expect. And I, I don't, I, I guess I just don't really understand why. And I, and I've, I can't quite figure it out. I mean, I know there's been a Sort of a pent up demand is for for, uh, for housing. has been a housing shortage for, for quite some time, but it's weird that this pandemic is the thing that sort of sparked w- what seems to be be now almost like a, a snowball rolling downhill with with home values. It's just it's weird, and it is interesting.
1: Yeah, and sustained. I mean, yeah. I think uh, you know for our listeners, you, know, you guys may remember that both Tino and I purchased a house. What I thought was right at the height of the market. I was I was a little upset. I, was, I thought for sure I was kind of getting screwed, but. You know, like you said, my housing prices have not only sustained, they've, they've gone up.
0: Yeah. Well, we've talked before about, you know, the the, the the homes I've bought and sold since I moved to Tampa. And every single time I bought a house, I thought I was paying too much. Every single one. And I've done, what, four or five in the last five or six years? And, and every one has, has increased in value. I mean, initially, I thought it was just because it was, you know, Tampa was growing. You know, but it seems like it's it's happening everywhere. It's just a, it's an interesting thing. Yeah,
2: the structural uh, nature of the of the housing market right now, you know, a lot of people point to you know blaming COVID for it, and and there are some components to it. No question, COVID caused millennials to finally, I guess, move out of their parents' basement and go buy houses for the first time, and all this, all the, and all the renting that was going on in, in these large cities to move out. But I mean, I think Mike, you mentioned earlier. I mean, there there's some structural supply issues here. I mean, the, the, the housing industry in this country has been massively underinvested into for 12, 15 years now. And it's a little bit every year, it's a little bit worse, it gets a little bit worse. And then you've got, you know, obviously not to get political, but you've got some NIMBY policies in certain areas of the country, too, where they don't want building happening. So you create a situation where demand's slowly rising over time, supply's not meeting that demand. And then you've got an exogenous shock, you know, an act of God, effectively, with COVID. And it's exacerbated this. So
0: there's all kinds of
2: weird stuff happening,
0: too, though, like the values. So so I'm in Connecticut right now. And, you know, I think the values in in Connecticut, you know, if you could get to the city within maybe 45 minutes, right? You went within 45 minutes of New York City have always been high. But, you know, once you get sort of beyond that point, values dropped off pretty precipitously, you know, property, property values. Now it seems like that's extending out to, you know, an hour, an hour and a half from the city. I think as people are not planning on going back to work five days a week, right? Maybe now you're working in the city three days a week. And for three days a week, you know what, you know, I can I can make an hour and a half drive once a week as opposed to, you know, as opposed to having to go in and, and back every single day. So the values in that next sort of set of, of areas again here, I, you know, I'm here now. So I sort of see it have really skyrocketed and seem and seem to be sustaining. And it's a weird unintended, or not unintended, but a weird unexpected consequence, I guess, of of uh, of the whole pandemic thing.
1: So that's fine. That's, that's a good segue into what I was going to say, which is I thought the most interesting thing was was the fact that you know there's been this refusal of people to go back to work. Uh, you know, I thought with 2020, you know, everybody went home, everybody started working from home, and you know, there's a lot of clamoring. Oh, we work from home, we're never going to go back. This and that, but but I feel like you always hear that. You know, it's like when something bad happens in the country and people start you know yapping about how they're going to move to Canada, right? But you know, it's ridiculous. You're not going to actually move to Canada. This time that seems to be the case. I mean, people really just refuse to go back to the office. They're they're willing to quit their jobs. And and you know, you have to wonder if that's part of why the the property values further out from major cities just continues to to hold.
0: You think that'll continue though? I mean, can that can that continue? I guess it can if if employers are willing to make that accommodation. I mean, there's no pressure to go back.
1: You know, as an employer, yeah, you know, there are a lot of benefits to that as well, right? I mean, it's it's, it's a lot less overhead. You know, there's a lot less to worry about. You know, there there is a lot of benefit to letting people stay at home, depending on your business, I guess.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I just think it depends, as everything in this world. I mean, you've got large established businesses that I think are more uh, suited to letting people work from home a little bit longer. I mean, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one taught us that you can maintain a business remotely, but I mean, look, we got a couple entrepreneurs here on this uh, podcast here, growing and building a business, particularly from scratch. I, I don't know how you do that remotely now th- I know there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to do it right now but I, I'd be I'd be really curious five years from now uh, the success rate of of being able to do something like this truly remotely
0: it seems unlikely that the success rate could be <laughs> even remotely decent right I, I can't imagine it's tough enough to start a business you know when you can do it in a traditional way uh, you know I can't imagine having to do it You know, with with the disadvantage of not being able to have employees in in the in the office or in the retail establishment or whatever it happens to be.
1: I don't know. I I think it. I think there's going to be a. I think it's a positive outlook. To be honest, I think that um, it's tough for us to 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 think about it and to conceptualize it because we didn't come up in that world. But you know, you do have a lot of younger people. Younger meaning, let's say under thirty, who. It we're already working remotely, or we're already thinking about working remotely, have shifted what their jobs are going to be, or have started businesses, but started the business with the intent that they would be working remotely. So of course, those businesses start differently, they, they, they grow differently. And I think that the mentality is a little bit different in regards to you know what you invest in and where you spend your time and so on and so forth. So I agree. I For the three of us, from our perspective, I do agree with you, Mike. It seems like a serious disadvantage in a, in a huge challenge to grow a business remotely. But I think that we probably don't look at it from the perspective of, are we starting a business right now from scratch that we know is going to be a remote business? Is it that much more challenging? Or is it just different yeah. challenges?
0: I, I don't know. I, I'm glad that we're not doing it though.
1: That's fine. <laughs> <gonna be. laughs> All right. So question number two, uh, and this is going to be my favorite one, I'm sure. What is the stupidest thing that we saw out of 2021? Mike, I'll let you kick it off. <laughs> this,
0: this one's easy for me because it happened about two weeks ago. Um, you guys uh, know that uh, HBO has come back with a sequel to Sex in the City, right?
1: Unfortunately, yes.
0: W- yeah, it was, was really big in the 90s, right? And, and for people that haven't watched it, it was about, you know, these four women living in New York trying to sort of figure out, you know, their lives and their relationships and things like that. And there was uh, the main character had this on-again, off-again romantic interest that, that you knew she'd, she'd ultimately end up with, right? So as they've resumed the series, now 10 years has passed or 15 years has passed or whatever it is, and so they're married and living together and so forth. And in the very first episode, she leaves for, uh, to go somewhere for the night, and he's home working out it his Peloton, and he gets off the Peloton, and, and he clutches his chest, and he, and he dies. He has a heart attack after getting off the Peloton and the next day peloton stock drops like 11 or 12% or some ridiculous thing. And I just think it's the stupidest thing in the world that a fictional character has a heart attack riding a peloton bike and then peloton stock drops. Now admittedly the stock was was not doing all that great to begin with. I think it's 6 8 months ago or a year ago it was 170 bucks and now it's like 35 but but it, it's just it's just the dumbest thing. And then so peloton scrambles and they get the actor that that plays the character to do a commercial that that looks like a sex in the city thing right and where he's sitting there and he's sitting in front of a fire with this attractive woman and it's very romantic and he's sitting there saying how he feels great and it's because he's been riding his peloton bike so this this commercial comes out for like a day then a whole pile of women from like twenty years ago come out and, and accuse him of of uh of sexual harassment. So this guy has been canceled and Peloton pulls these commercials entirely. The whole thing is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. So that's to me, the silliest, stupidest thing that's happened in the last 12 months.
2: Peloton's marketing campaigns yeah, they, they they do. You remember that this is probably this is pre-COVID, like the Christmas season before pre-CO before right before COVID. They did this commercial and again. Attractive woman who is already rail thin, and husband gets her a Peloton for Christmas, and and I remember she goes, this commercial. She, the, the company got vilified for this for this marketing Crushed. campaign. Crushed, yeah. You know they yeah. can't seem to figure this thing out. <laughs> uh,
0: so what I thought was was funny though is that Peloton claims that. They didn't know how their product was going to be portrayed in the show, which is hard for me to admit. Uh, right? Yeah, it seems a little and, ridiculous. And you know, and, and because all this happened, I sort of forced myself to watch this tragedy of a series. That show was so
1: terrible; it's, <laughs> it's unwatchable. <bad. laughs> unwatchable. It's really horrible, <laughs> it's for sure. It's just pathetic.
0: <laughs> in the second episode, like, so he dies at the end of the first episode. The second episode, after they've taken the body away, there's a scene where she walks into the room he's working out and she just stares at the peloton bike yeah, and, it's, and it's almost it's almost like they i mean it 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 does portray it really negatively and it's just it's unimaginable that that peloton could not know the way their product was going to be portrayed right i mean sex in the city is known for product placement or right? that whole apple yeah. product placement thing that they were known for i mean that's that was almost like their specialty how could you sign a deal with 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 a company like that and, and not have some sort of approval as to the way, the way your product's gonna be portrayed. It's just, the whole thing is just stupid.
1: Maybe someone in that Peloton marketing department was in that stock. What do you think?
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I
2: mean, it's 2021, maybe. Yeah. Um, I hate to, yeah, to think it can to happen. You. Not a spoiler alert for you both, but I've been forced to watch many more of these episodes, and uh, Peloton <laughs> is in almost every one of them. So they're, they're probably getting their money's worth to some degree.
0: Oh, I, 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 I. I reached my limited two. There's no way I can I could I could suffer through another one of those stupid things. The show is so bad, it's unreal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Tina, what do you got?
2: This is a long list. You know, I, I thought about, um, I'm glad I didn't go with the sig- use signal tweet from uh, Elon Musk. He said use signal back in like January, S-I-G-L, which is an app that you can send messages through securely. and. The ticker SIGL, which is like a microcap biotech company, went up was like 7,000% the next day with some number. It's too close to what Mike did. So I'll, I'll, I'll push that stupidity off of the side for a second. And I'm just going to go with that $69 million screensaver from Beeple that sold. Uh, or not? It's not a screensaver, <laughs> but it, it kind of is. It's an, an NFT. Yeah. So somebody paid uh, you $69 That's million. That's what I was going to use too. Oh, I did. Okay, yeah. Well, no, you can use it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, i can be more. <laughs> That is the
1: most ridiculous thing that I've seen all year.
2: Oh, uh, it's absurd. I mean, you know, push the money aside for a second. I mean, and again, you know, this could be all of our age. Uh, the NFT thing is something that we've talked about before. I've tried to many times take an objective viewpoint and understand what the hell these things are and why people are buying them, and I can't get there. I just can't. And then to say sixty-nine million dollars for something that it legitimately is a screensaver, I don't get it.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll pile on because that was gonna be mine too. And my, mine was just a little bit more um, from a from a higher view, I guess. It's just just NFTs in general, right? the hundreds of millions of dollars that are being transacted over over nothing, over nothing, over pictures on a screen. That anybody can take a screenshot of
2: you know what Remy, I'm, I'm gonna it. go ahead and give you give you the the 69 million dollar people i'm gonna i'm gonna move over to the uh
1: the bansky he does the third one. photo or the, the yeah. bansky
2: painting that, or whatever <laughs> it was that the guys destroyed banksy
1: yeah the banksy, banksy.
2: yeah i don't even know who this guy was. Oh my God. talk about it if you're gonna talk about it you gotta learn his name dude i know nothing <laughs> absolutely nothing about art i've never understood it i don't get it i never will and maybe that's my problem with nfts but that bank, vent, whatever that guy is, with a, that group basically destroyed the artwork and made a uh, an NFT out of it and sold the NFT for more than the art. Th- that's that's a pretty good one.
1: All right. So one more, because this one's getting a little bit long. What do you think came out of 2021 that is going to be the most relevant for 2022 and beyond? I'll start it off. Why not? I'm going to go back to... And, and and to be fair, I don't know that I would say this necessarily came out in 2021, but I think it was certainly glorified in, in 2021. Um, and, and I'll go back to an episode that we did, geez, I want to say maybe in, in April or May, where we talked about Robin Hood and the, the gamification of trading. And, and I think that the most relevant thing that has come out of 2021 is not necessarily just the gamification of trading, but the gamification of life. I, I, you're starting to see this technique introduce itself in all kinds of different ways and in all different parts of life and i think that we're going to see that more and more and more and more as as the year and the next few years continue on that's Gamification a scary thing. of life yeah i mean you you were just talking about peloton Mike right? even peloton right? working out has become a game right you go on it's live i don't know if you've seen how that peloton live works but you, yeah. You've got like a little screen with um, other people that are biking at the same time. And there's a leaderboard and like the whole works, yeah. right? They make it a big game, which oh, yeah. is great for working oh, out because yeah. I hate working out. And, and it's a little bit motivational, but, but you're seeing it with everything. Everything is getting gamified.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that.
1: What do you guys
0: got? I actually think that it's, that, that it's the same thing you just talked about with, with the NFT thing, right? I, I do think that that is something that is, I don't know how it's going to be super relevant in the future but i do think that there will be some uses of that that we haven't thought of yet that will change fundamentally change certain things you know the the one that comes to mind and we're talking about art the one that comes to mind is is uh you know artists that can now track when a painting is resold and get royalties on it each time it Mm -hmm. gets resold like much like a musician gets royalties on their music right that that couldn't happen in the past and you know i always used to think about that if i was an artist and, and I, and I'd created a bunch of stuff and, and sold it for 500 bucks because I was a starving artist, you know, and now all of a sudden somebody's selling it for 30, 40, 50,000, you know, a million dollars, whatever it is. A- am I, am I happy because now I can create new work that I can sell for, for more, or am I pissed because I sold something for 500 bucks and somebody just made 3 million bucks and, and, and it does nothing for me. So, you know, the idea that you can attach a uh, an nft or some sort of a, of a contract to that that tracks the ownership and then can sort of pay me a royalty each time it's sold i think is significant in that world so i think there's going to be lots of stuff like that i just don't know what it is
2: i got nothing on nfts i'm i'm spent on all that crap i'm going to go back to old school <laughs> economics on here and say you think about what's happened this year uh, you know, for the well i'll take a step back for the past maybe 10 12 13 years since the financial crisis it's always a game between employers and employees, right? Who has the upper hand? And for the longest time now, it's been employers. And I think this year, more than anything, that the power has shifted. If you think about, it's not just the wage growth that we're seeing. It's not just people being able to jump around and, and find new jobs. It's, it's you know, all these different things you're hearing about in the news. Pay attention to what happened, I think it was in Buffalo, Starbucks. They unionized. Uh, they're trying to do the same thing in Boston now. We're starting to, we've are starting. seen strikes across the board. Kel, I think it was Kellogg. Uh, they had a plan that gone, went, went on strike. All these different, like, you know, for lack of a better word, uprisings are happening with, with the employee base around the country. And I think that this is an indication of the power really has shifted m- more to the employee side. And there are some big implications going forward, particularly in 22, about that. If it's not just could the compressed margins for companies or, or wages going to go up any higher. It, it could... Uh, you know we talked a little bit about working from home earlier. this these trends could materially change uh, maybe not forever, but for the time being, the way that that the business is done in our country. And uh, I'll be curious to see how um, how some of this sticks. I mean, look, you know, we all three of us have been trying to hire good talent for a long time now. And I mean how many interviews have we had over the past eight months where somebody hasn't asked about working from home? zero.
1: Yeah, it's 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 almost uh, a given these days. Yeah, and
2: and if we say no, then somebody else is going to say yes. You know, so I mean, it's one of those things where we might not like it, but again as as employers, we might have to think it differently going forward as well. As how does that change the way business is done? These types of trends are not going to happen overnight, but there's, they're the ones that I'm spending a lot of time reading about and trying to think through on my own.
1: So for our own employees that are listening, uh, you should cut this show short <laughs> about four minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management LLC and Darwin Advisors LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties, and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature; always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there could be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.